Welcome to episode 41 of How We Win. All over the country, people are using their voices and standing up for their very lives. We are not just witnesses to history. We are the ones writing it. And we have a responsibility to stand up to injustice everywhere we see it. And we know the best antidote to anxiety is action. So we stand together and we're going to get through this together. Today's show, we're joined by Sarah Kinzier, best-selling author of Hiding in Plain Sight and journalist filmmaker Andrea Chalupa. Together, they host the Gaslit Nation podcast. We'll talk about how the GOP will use divide-and-conquer strategies to try to do just that and what we can do to fight against it. Then we'll hear sounds from the Black Lives Matter protests over the last weekend, including words from actors and activists like Michael B. Jordan, Kendrick Sampson, Dr. Melina Abdullah, and more. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And and this this is is How How We We Win. Win. Where to begin? What a difference a a week makes. Mm -hmm. Um, Last week, we were talking about these emotional, heartfelt, outpouring demonstrations. And this week, we're talking about House Democrats having a bill ready to go in response to that. Yes. Pretty, pretty amazing what has come out of these actions so quickly. It's really amazing and really heartening. And I had the opportunity to go uh, to some of the protests in L.A. over the weekend and talk to people. And, you know, it was a mixed bag. There's there's a lot of people who um, they're like, whatever, you know, I'll believe it when I see some change. But there are a lot of people who feel like this is a major inflection point. This this definitely feels different. And we're seeing change. We're seeing the city council of Minneapolis uh, voting to divest the police department in Minneapolis. I mean, that's incredible. I I, w- I couldn't believe that happened. And now, as you said, we have a massive policing bill, something that usually takes months of committee and you know, all this stuff. We, we have this, like you said, in a week. Yeah, they really moved very quickly on it. And if you go back in our podcast archives, um, the interview that we did with Congressmember Karen Bass is will give you some great insight on her approach to legislation and community organizing, which that she was involved in helping the community here in Los Angeles rebuild after the Watts riots. And so she's the real deal and knows what she's talking about. And that's who we want writing these bills. But, you know, I'll say the the glaring omission for me at this point, a lot has, has happened, um, a lot of change in a very short amount of time. Still no arrests in the murder of Brianna Taylor right. in, in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, she's the young woman, the, the um, emergency medical worker who was gunned down by plainclothes officers who burst into the apartment without identifying themselves right. in a case of mistaken identity in Louisville and uh, fired off dozens of shots. And um, Brianna would have turned 27 last week. And, uh, you know, we just can't forget about her and so many other people like her. We have a, we, we've done a lot in a short period of time. We've done a lot over a long period of time. We have a long road ahead of us. You're right. And we need justice. One thing that um, we're hearing all about right now is defund the police. 
I'll admit that seemed really extreme to me. Now, personally, I'm a shoot for the moon kind of guy. I like I I want to go for big sweeping change. I you know when when there's something rotten in an institution, when there are basic tenets of an institution that are uh, just not going to work, no matter how you reform them, I'm all for a complete overhaul. I believe this in this case about the systemic racism that we have in our country um, and the institutionalized racism. I believe it with healthcare uh, personally, and and why we need Medicare for all, and completely revamp our healthcare system. But the defund the police seemed like a like a, a term that was uh, very divisive. I knew it was going to scare a lot of people about like, well, who's going to you know quote unquote protect us and all that. So, would you talk a little bit about what defunding the police actually means? Yeah, listen, there are a ton of resources out there about defund the police. It's a it's an idea that's been around for quite some time. And I think one of our jobs right now is to educate ourselves on what the actual proposals are and not only the slogan, particularly if you're going to be the type of person who, who's going to talk about slogans and what's a strong slogan and what's not. Right. Um, and, you know, I would warn P I, I love what you said about, you know, shooting for the moon for people who feel like their lives are in danger. The idea of incrementalism is not good enough. Right. Being told to wait your turn or ask for something less in the hopes that you might get a crumb isn't quite good enough. And so I really, you know, would point people, there are so many great articles out right now about um, what police reform looks like, what defunding the police, police departments look like. It looks like reprioritizing our cities and counties and state budgets. Mm -hmm. It looks like responding to complaints from police themselves that they are expected to do too much in our communities that they're not equipped to do. Right. Um, and, you know, defunding the police looks like saying, hey, um, maybe this police officer doesn't need to respond to a complaint about a homeless person urinating on the corner. Maybe a social worker would be a better person to respond to that. It looks like not criminalizing poverty anymore. And it's a rejection of ideas that we've tried already that haven't worked so far. So I really, I think it's our job right now to educate ourselves on what defund the police means and share that information with other people who may not have had a chance to look into it yet. That's really well said. Uh, and so I hope everyone listening to this does that. I hear uh, Speaker Pelosi say this all the time, that a budget is a statement of your values. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it really is. Where do you choose to put uh, that important money and resources? And um, one thing here in uh, Los Angeles, it costs about uh, fifteen thousand uh, per kid to educate them. We spend about fifteen thousand per kid to educate them in poorer communities. Uh, it, it's less than that. We spend about a hundred and fifty thousand per police officer. In uh, we have about seven thousand uh, police officers uh, here in Los Angeles. It's been a hundred and fifty thousand dollars on each police officer 
about 15000 to educate a kid. So mm-hmm. right there is, is just an example of what defunding the police means. It doesn't mean uh, necessarily abolishing police forces. It means allocating resources to communities in, um, in a way that really should reflect our values. Yeah, I, that's a great point. I mean, it, the, your point is that we've already defunded education. We've defunded health care. We've defunded so many other things that should be priorities. Uh, we've defunded affordable housing and uh, social services. Okay, so now, okay, it hasn't worked. Y'all, let's let's readjust our priorities. So that's an action item for people to do a little bit more research in that. And um, also, we want to encourage people to show up in whatever way you're able to in this moment uh, for Black Lives Matter, for these protests. Um, If you're not comfortable exposing yourself to coronavirus, which, by the way, is still out there and actually on the rise, that's absolutely understandable. Um, there's a good list of resources that we put up on uh, swingleft.org slash show up. We'll have the link, as always, on our Swing Left podcast page as well for different things you can do every day to support this movement at this time. Great. If you ever needed motivation for participating in our to-do list, <laughs> boy, do we have it this week. Yeah, we have an incredibly informative and uh, intense conversation with Sarah and Andrea from the Gaslit Nation podcast. They have a lot of information for us about the Trump crime family and what we need to be keeping an eye out for, what these protests all mean for this authoritarian regime, and so much more. And make sure you stick around after the interview to hear some of the voices from the Black Lives Matter protests in Los Angeles last weekend. Sarah Kinzior is the author of the bestsellers Hiding in Plain Sight and The View from Flyover Country. Andrea Chalupa is a journalist and author whose film Mr. Jones is out now. Both are experts on authoritarian states who, years before the 2016 election, persistently warned America about the Kremlin's threat to democracy. On their Great Gaslit Nation podcast, they take a deep dive on the news, delivering context and sharp insight on global affairs. Listening to this podcast always makes me feel so much smarter. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having having us. us. You give us hope in these dark times, so we're thrilled to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, we were just talking a lot. When we were on your show, it was Valentine's Day. It was a lot of happiness and joy and hope, and uh, it was such a simpler time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, several centuries ago on Valentine's Day. (laughs) Remember when we thought things were like confusing and and harrowing back then and now it's hard to know where to start any of these interviews but like what what is top of mind for you both right now like what is keeping you up at night at the moment Ivanka Trump oh, oh. God. <laughs> that video that oh my god oh, if so anyone much. hasn't seen that uh that just crazy well please 
tell us tell, tell us, us why. More. <laughs> tell well, us I, more about I Ivanka. Think, so I think it's been really interesting that her mask has come off because this was always Ivanka Trump. There's no other Ivanka Trump. And she just played a uh, fake Democrat very well on the stage of the Republican convention in Cleveland where you had um, viral videos of Trump supporters doing the Nazi salute, and that was all fascist pageantry of Trump saying, I alone can fix it. He looked like Mussolini on that stage. And they're very mm -hmm. much leaning into all the signs of fascism from the get-go. You had Michael Flynn on stage chanting, lock her up, lock her up. And then Ivanka came out and gave what sounded like a sane speech and you saw a lot of idiots including in the especially i'd say in the media falling for it and everybody falling right. for the fact that you know ivanka is a new yorker she's um a democrat she's and they thought that, that she's obviously going to be a moderating force and it, and she's just been cashing in she and jared kushner so as we always right. say on gaslit nation the de facto president of the united states is three people it's trump Ivanka and Jared. What do you think Ivanka's long game is? Pre First woman oh, president. To become president. Yeah. I mean, Andre and yeah. I have been talking about yeah. that for a long time. That's mm -hmm. why they installed uh, Ivanka and Jared into the White House, which should have been yeah. an immediate red flag for anybody <laughs> questioning whether this is going to be an autocracy, questioning if this is going to be a dynastic kleptocracy. This is a very common thing that you see um, in authoritarian states uh, where they put their progeny in positions of power um, both to continue to commit crimes like money laundering uh, with state funds, uh, using state resources for personal gain um, and ensuring that things stay in the family, but also trying to put kind of a kinder, gentler uh, facade on a very brutal regime. And, you know, I agree with Andrea that that facade uh, has come off. But I think that one thing in particular people should be watching out for, and we talk about this um, in the upcoming episode of Gaslit Nation um, that we taped today on Tuesday, is that Kushner is going to use uh, this pretext of wanting criminal justice reform, which in mm -hmm. you know reality he, he couldn't care less about, uh, to try to preemptively exonerate himself, Ivanka, other members of this administration and of the Trump uh, crime cult for their own crimes, <laughs> for white collar crimes, for organized mm. crime. They have no interest in actually, uh, you know, reforming or abolishing the police or bringing about justice or protecting black lives or any of that. Um, but they're very likely to use that rhetoric uh, for their own nefarious ends. And people need to keep an eye out on that. I want to add no. to this because I, I, I so we saw in a, in a recent comment that she gave to the press that Ivanka Trump considers herself a Trump Republican. So she's claiming all this now. And that's mm -hmm. significant because how we have to consider the Republican Party of today, it's an extension of the Trump family brand. It's, she called it, I'm a Trump Republican. Um, that's what they all are now. They've, co they've taken over the Republican Party, and it was just a, a matter of time that, that this would that the that Frankenstein monster that, the, uh, that Republican policies have created over decades from chipping away at voting rights to um, mm -hmm. historic levels of income inequality that we would end up with a Trump Frankenstein monster just swallowing up, cannibalizing the Republican Party. And now it's a it's part of the Trump organization, essentially. So she's very right to claim that. And what was so telling from the very beginning, uh, buried in this Vanity Fair deep dive shortly after the 2016 election into the into Tiffany and Trump and Ivanka Trump was a paragraph saying how Ivanka Trump's response 
to the Access Hollywood grab them by the pussy tape was to hit back harder. So here are all these women coming out with cre credible accusations of, of assault, sexual assault by her father and her re reaction, very Trumpian response was to hit back harder. And I think that's what we mm -hmm. saw when a university in Kansas disinvited her to give a commencement address mm -hmm. because she's right. the face of white fascism in America. And her response was to hit back harder by releasing a propaganda video that's just completely it's word salad empty. And that took away from uh, the attention of the of the desired university spotlight being on the graduates themselves. Um, I want to talk about the Black Lives Matter protests right now, and there's a lot of layers to it, but specifically Trump's very chilling reaction to it. And of, of course, you have both been talking about the rise of authoritarianism for years. We've seen this play out in his response, um, calling Antifa, labeling Antifa a domestic terrorist organization, this very nebulous non-organization. Um, and as recently as this morning – actually tweeting out about the Buffalo protester saying that he, the 75-year-old man who was pushed to the cement and bleeding out of the ear could have been an Antifa provocateur. I think you guys talked about this on last week's podcast as a really dangerous precedent to kind of create this umbrella for which they can attack anyone that's attacking them. Can you talk a little bit more about that and, and why it's so dangerous? Yeah, um, you know, we did say that last week that they were going to use um, Antifa, which is this nebulous, uh, amorphous kind of group, label it a terrorist organization, and then use that as a pretext to pounce uh, on dissidents, on anybody uh, who expresses independent critiques of this administration, and, um, you know, also on just random people, on passersby. And it reminds me very much of a case uh, from Uzbekistan that I studied where they invented a group called Acromia um, and did you know, similar things, only they also massacred uh, 800 people under the pretext of fighting Acromia. Um, anyway, you could listen to the episode for that. But, you know, this morning, I I've seen some commentary that people think, uh, you know, Trump erred by, uh, you know, labeling this innocent man who is just walking along the street when the police <laughs> knocked him down, uh, you know, to the point that his skull is cracked open, I believe, as Antifa, um, which, of course, is like it's morally reprehensible. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. But the point of yeah. it is to show that just nobody is safe, even if you are an elderly man, uh, you know, even if you're just minding your own business and you're adjacent to the protest, even if you're somebody who is uh, maybe sympathetic to the cause, has never protested before, is going out to see what's going on, they will come for you. The president of the United States will come for you while you are in the hospital uh, trying to recover from your injuries that the right. police uh, did to you. And so this is a, a fear tactic. It's meant to make people afraid. And I think that those who are kind of, um, you know, blowing it off or laughing at it, they, they don't understand uh, just how brutal this administration is. And I think that, you know, by now they really should. You know, you could look at everything from the concentration camps for uh, migrant families who have been torn apart to the murderous uh, persecution of state officials that have defied the Trump administration. People like uh, Marie Ivanovich, for example, who the administration put a hit on. There is a very, very long list of people uh, who have been persecuted in a brutal way 
by Trump's administration, by Trump's backers, uh, by Trump himself uh, in the time before he became president, that of course, yes, you should be very alarmed that he has executive power and that with Bill Barr, uh, he has legal power. He has the Iran-Contra cleanup guy there uh, to provide a legal pretext that initially a lot of pundits uh, fell for when he first arrived. They thought he was an institutionalist. They thought he was going to do some sort of honorable job uh, because he wears a suit and a tie and he served in a previous administration. I mean, that's crap. He's incredibly dangerous. And the fact that the the House has not initiated impeachment uh, for Bill Barr is a travesty. They should have done that immediately after he lied about the Mueller report. There was, you know, your your first offense. He should have never been confirmed. But once he was in, the danger was so immediate and so obvious and so severe. And now we're here over a year later and he has caused all of this damage uh, with no repercussions for him at all. Um, One of the things that to me has been very fascinating around the demonstrations and protests that have cropped up over the last couple of weeks is I've been hearing them referred to by pro-demonstration people and anti-demonstration people as an uprising, which I think is interesting language to use for them. And obviously this predates Trump, the Black Lives Matter movement does. But to have this, let's call it an uprising led by Black people with everyone participating in it and it coming during Trump's uh, time in office, what does that mean for his march toward authoritarianism? Is it disruptive or is it helpful, do you think? Well, I, I just want to point out, Sarah and I were sort of feeling like um, we've had some accountability. We've had we've seen signs of progress with, um, the, you know, the Minneapolis City Council committing to mm-hmm. defunding the police there in Minneapolis. Yeah. And, and you, you saw the same movement in uh, New York City and, and other places. And, and a lot's been happening that finally needs to happen. And so for us, it's it does feel like a surreal period of possibly uh, Trump's authoritarianism, the Trump crime family, as we call them, as they are, regrouping, regrouping in response Mm -hmm. to all this because they have been wounded by their own power grab. I mean, that was Ivanka's idea, of course, to go out and and use tear gas and forcefully clear the area of peaceful protesters all for a fascist pageantry photo op. And it backfired tremendously. And you finally had Mattis agonizing all these months, finally breaking his silence. And that in and, and and so we are concerned because they have to stay in power to avoid legal accountability. And we are con- and so and so do their backers, Putin's Kremlin, because you know, if Biden wins, he's going to be passing sweeping Kremlin sanctions. Uh he has to. And so we are concerned about how they may be regrouping to meet this moment in order to stay in power and avoid accountability. Yeah, and I also think some of the 
the reactions that they had to the protests uh, were a dress rehearsal for what they intend to do in November. I expected them to ramp up use of the military uh, to encourage police brutality against protesters after November, uh, regardless who mm -hmm, uh, right. wins the election or is declared the winner, I should really say. Whether, it, you know, if it's Trump, he'll feel like he has a mandate and you're going to see, I think, an upsurge in, in white supremacist violence and in violence from his backers. If it's Biden, you're going to have a situation where he's going to refuse to leave. Um, and I was expecting basically that outcome along with mass protests. We now have mm -hmm. mass protests uh, early and for, you know, a distinct but related cause. Uh, you know, we have protests against oppression, against criminal impunity, um, you know, from state officials, you know, so the actions of the police, you know, are very much in line with the goals of the Trump administration, with the, you know, ethos of the Trump administration. Um, I, I do think, though, it's, uh, you know, it's a hopeful, it's a good thing that so many people are rising up at once. And, you know, I live in St. Louis um, and folks here always called uh, Ferguson an mm -hmm. uprising. You know, it wasn't uh, a riot. It started as a vigil um, and did lead to an uprising, but it never brought about uh, substantial reforms. It, it never, on a practical level, um, achieved the goals that the protesters wanted, in part because it was hijacked. You know, it was hijacked by NGOs. It was hijacked by, uh, you know, people who wanted to appear in the media. Money and resources that should have gone here uh, never really was used. Um, the situation mm -hmm. now is different because it truly seems national. Um, mm -hmm. It's extremely expansive. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the groups that emerged after Trump was elected, um, um, you know, groups like Indivisible or Moms Demand, uh, people from those organizations, they're participating alongside activists uh, from Black Lives Matter um, and Black activists in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that that critical mass, that is something to reckon with. That is something that, you know, any kind of... Uh, dictatorial regime or aspiring one fears. Um, so it's very good that the people are getting out in the streets, um, in part because it breaks through the propaganda, you know, it breaks through this idea that Trump reflects the majority, that he has, you know, 40%, that's the number I always see bandied about with no uh, backing, that he has 40% <laughs> of the country behind him. Um, I've never believed that for a minute. And I live in uh, Missouri, which he won. I think it's much lower. And I think we're seeing that incredible frustration and fear uh, being expressed on the street. And I think the coronavirus crisis exacerbated that because what's happened mm -hmm. is white people have learned that they too are expendable under the Trump administration, that no one is going to protect them. Nobody is going to help them. A uh, hundred thousand people will die and the Trump administration won't even lower the flag. Uh, you know, that's how they view human life. Um, and it's a racist administration. They hate black people far more than white people, but basically they only care about themselves and their money and their criminal ventures. And I think that finally, um, you know, Americans really understand how far they'll go. Yeah. And thank you. We've, we've brought it to a little bit of a hopeful place because um, seeing people coming out in the street and, and coming together in these huge numbers consistently has 
brought me uh, hope, you know. And also for, you know, years now, the international community has been looking at us and been like, why aren't Americans out in the street every day protesting what's going on? And hmm. uh, and now here we are every day. Um, so there's, there's some hope there. And you all talk about on your podcast all the time um, about divide and conquer, um, or at least you did last week. But we, we talk about it all the time too because that's literally – the GOP strategy for for winning. Um, that's the only way, really, I see that they can stay in power in November is by executing the divide and conquer strategy. Can you talk a little bit about that? But let's talk about how we can combat that and stop that from happening. I think the answer is for all of us to build locally in our towns, our cities, and our county because um, the crisis we're seeing play out on a national level, all the conditions, the social ills that uh, Putin's sweeping attack on our democracy in 2016, all the wounds that he took advantage of and used against us, those are all local issues, you know, voting rights and so forth. And so if you fight locally where you live, if you find your community locally where you live, you're essentially uh, building life-saving friendships and support systems and humanizing mm. each other. And so if you mm. were a Hillary supporter or a Biden supporter or Pete and Amy who, or Elizabeth Warren supporter on the ground, locally you see each other as neighbors. As, you know, your kids go to the same school and so forth. And you can join with... Um, with each other locally, because that's the the real war is a local war. And if you clean up your local yeah. politics, if you fight for quality of life issues where you live, if you make sure that you live in a blue trifecta, meaning the entire government is in the hands of Democrats, it, you know, mm. all of those battles on the local level um, help secure our democracy nationally and shifts the culture nationally, election cycle after election cycle. Um, so as, as we've seen play out again and again, um, from from as far as, you know, looking at the Spanish Civil War, the conditions there where the opposition against the fascists was divided. If you look at the abysmal uh, election results in the UK election, um, which destroyed Corbynism mm -hmm. and, and ushered in Boris Johnson, that was a divided left. But I don't think we have such an issue with division right now because you have Bernie Sanders supporters and, and and organizers building with Biden's team and, and Elizabeth Warren's team. And I think we understand now far greater than we did in 2016 on an organizer level, just how critical this moment is that if this election is not a landslide, it's going to be easy for them to steal. And so right. what, what you see is a lot of uh, Bernie supporters and Elizabeth supporters and so forth getting together to raise money to turn Texas blue. We're turning Texas into a battleground state, which is going to suck up resources from the Trump campaign. And that's an important strategy, whether we can turn Texas blue or not, even though turning it blue would be a huge win, obviously. But um, mm -hmm. we have to think about unity in terms of all of us working together election cycle after election cycle to plant important seeds of building a progressive infrastructure. And over time, that's going to shift things and, and protect our democracy from from an Ivanka Trump presidency, because that's the real battle now. Like, even if Biden miraculously mm. wins and they don't get away with stealing it in November, we have to fight like hell to secure our democracy in the long run, long run. And we do that locally with our communities. Great points. I love that organizing locally. And, and um, your point about having to to have a blowout 
in this election is is so important for people to understand too because we've yeah. seen as recently as as yesterday some really attractive looking polls um and i just don't want people to get complacent one bit and look at any poll and think okay we're we're looking good there because we can't win by 1% we can't win by 2% i mean trump has spent his entire presidency trying to delegitimize the actual election that he won so you know <laughs> yeah. yeah well i want to ask you guys a question because obviously things have changed considerably because of an actual pandemic. So in terms of a 2020 survival guide, what do you recommend folks do now to uh, ensure that there's a landslide and ensure that we kick out Mitch McConnell and, and put the Senate and Democrat hands and, and, and say and keep the House? So what are you what are you telling people now in, to stay engaged? And what are some actionable items that they can do regularly to help build that landslide that we need? Flipping the script. Do you want to go, Mariah? (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. I mean, I think that we are organizers everywhere are building the plane as we fly it because things change so dramatically. Um, We've really encouraged people to lean into proven strategies, phone banking, text banking, letter writing, but also experimenting with innovative digital things, social media, organizing, uh, tapping the networks that we already have. Now is the time to be talking to people that that you know personally. And I think a lot of election organizing, uh, we focus on, you know, how to talk to strangers. And um, now we've got, we've got to look at the people around us and make sure that we're not leaving them out as we kind of figure out when we can get back to the doors and 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 yeah. and things like that. Exactly. The only thing I would add to that is, you know, our our strategy still remains the same. We know the the states that are going mm-hmm. to have an outsized influence in helping save our democracy that will have, you know, a Senate seat that we have to win, local legislatures uh, like you all talked about earlier how important it is to uh, work to flip these state houses, especially before the census, especially before we redistrict so that we can ensure the next decade we have uh, at least to try to have fair elections moving forward um, without the terrible gerrymandering and, of course, the presidency. So the targets are the same, but it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, no sugarcoating it. It's much more difficult to reach people right now. And uh, and what that means is we really need everyone to th- to volunteer, to get involved. We need more people to make more contacts so that we can have that blowout that we need. And it's going to start as Mariah said with, you know, relational organizing, uh going to your networks, finding people that you went to college with, maybe haven't spoken to for a while, getting them to contact their friends, finding out who you know in these super States, contacting them and doing it in strategic ways. Great question. Talk <laughs> to everybody. <laughs> well, one more thing, uh, but before we let you all go, and I can't wait to hear this week's podcast. So I know you want to get back to working on that. We always end our interviews with this. What gives you all hope for November? <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> well. I've said before. This is the care. This is the Care Bear portion of our interview. Yeah, yeah. Do the that. Care Bear mosh pit. <laughs> I've said before. I, I don't have hope, um, but I also don't have hopelessness. Um, mm. I, I think sometimes it's 
you know, I mean, people should, if hope works for you, if you have hope and it keeps you going, then that's great. I'm not like anti-hope or something, but, um, you know, <laughs> if, if you've studied this kind of subject matter for a long time, uh, you know, you've often become familiar with really horrifying possibilities and possible outcomes, um, you know, that we don't want to happen, but we need to be vigilant. Uh, we need to prepare in advance. We need to imagine the worst case scenario so that we can prevent them. And what I think is a very good thing uh, is that people are getting much more realistic about that. Um, back in 2016, I think people were too complacent. They assumed uh, Hillary would win, that it would be a blowout, that Trump uh, was not actually a traitor. He was not a Kremlin asset, uh, that if he were, people would come in and fix it, that institutions function. Uh, it's not a fun thing to have all the flaws um, of your institutions, uh, their essential ineffectiveness, revealed to you in such a horrifying way, but it's much worse not to know uh, because then you're blindsided and it's difficult to fight back and it's difficult to organize. And I think we've gotten over that hump um, to a large degree. I think people are going into this with their eyes open and what they see may be horrifying, but if you're fighting honorably uh, with principle, with an eye towards the truth, then that will take you far. And so seeing that progress uh, over the last four years, you know, I, I think that that's encouraging. And I'll, I'll add what gives me hope is seeing uh, all these books on how to be anti-racist selling out. Mm. And that's really long overdue because Martin Luther King, who, of course, was considered a radical for his day, he uh, spoke truth to power to white allies, white advocates and white people generally and said, we can't do this without you. What are you doing? And so I, I have a lot of hope for November and moving forward because white people are finally waking up no matter where they came from or whatever hardships their families um, escaped from Europe and elsewhere. They're finally waking up to the, the fact that it's on us to have these conversations with each other and learn all the insidious ways that white supremacy works because it was white supremacy in the first place that helped Trump steal, you know, come to power. That he built his campaign yeah. for years um, with his birther movement against the first black president. And it's not, right. it's, it, it's completely linked that Putin's mass murdering terror regime, a xenophobic, um, anti immigrant, a racist, fascist state props him up, you know, and has financially for many years through their oligarchs and money laundering and so forth. So um, it's about time that white people um, embraced the moral responsibility that we have to have these conversations with each other and learn how to have them and and risk how awkward and uncomfortable that may feel, but how necessary it is because racist emails forwarded to you about Barack Hussein Obama and racist mm -hmm. um, Facebook posts, those turn into racist actions in the real world, you know? And so it's about time that white people learned how to talk to each other about why black lives matter. Nice. It's a great point. And speaking of books, uh, Everybody check out Hiding in Plain Sight, Sarah's amazing book. And my wife uh, ignored me for a full 24 hours and list devoured it on uh, <laughs> your audio book version of that. So you've been in her ear a lot. And oh, um, yeah. Um, and Andrea, where can people see Mr. Jones? Well, you can go to uh, Samuel Goldwyn 
Amazon.com. Uh, they have all types of options there, including the trailer. It's starring the great James Norton, who's the odds maker favorite to be the next James Bond, Vanessa Kirby, who is Princess Margaret and the Crown, and Peter Sarsgaard, who is just everyone's favorite actor and, and extraordinarily lovely. So I'm, I'm thrilled to share that with you guys. Ooh, Thank how exciting. you. Well, we'll put those resources on the site, on social yeah. media, and everything. Yeah. This is awesome. And tell me what you think. It's my first film. <laughs> so, Congratulations. It's really amazing. exciting. And of course, we'll link to Gaslit Nation. What gives me hope is that uh, you're always reminding us of how high the stakes are. So no no way to get complacent listening to y'all. <laughs> we're, the spin, sure. we're the spin class for our democracy. Yeah, we know. You guys, thank you so much. This has been really great, really informative. And... Um, we appreciate all that you do and your action guide also we didn't really get to talk about. But thank you for doing that. Thanks for not just talking about this stuff but giving people stuff to do. Well, you as well. So, you know, we're in, I'm inspired. Sarah's inspired. We're thrilled to come on the show and, and circle back with you after all that we've gone through as a country in the last couple of months. So thank you for your continued work as well. So, Steve, you ended up going to a demonstration over the weekend. I did. I went down. There was uh, um, a number of protests. And I'm sure everyone saw the incredible over overview of Hollywood on Sunday uh, where 100,000 people were there. It was incredible. And all, all of the turnout all over the country and, and the world uh, has really been giving me hope. I went on Saturday to a protest in March that started in Century City and then marched down to the Beverly Hills Police Department. And Dr. Melina Abdullah spoke, who is the um, founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. Actors Michael B. Jordan and Kendrick Sampson both spoke. It was great, and there's some really great interviews that I got just with people who are marching, and uh, so there's some varied perspective on hope moving forward. So let's hear it. Hundred percent makes me feel like there'll be change. Um, uh, my friend dragged me out because uh, I'm used to getting pulled over and stuff like that, and so I was kind of hesitant. So, but so yeah, it's nice to be out here and able to be heard. We we shouldn't even have to be doing this shit right now. We're doing it because our brothers are being and sisters are being killed on the floor and being murdered. So this is not something we necessarily want to spend our Saturdays doing. It's something we have to. It's something we will do until justice is served in this country. Does this give you hope in this moment? <laughs> you see, I'll, I'll wait till election day to see what hope I have in this moment. We obviously have a president that doesn't give a shit, and if he gets reelected, then he'll give even less of a shit. It's just crazy. So we'll see. Here we have the incredible Dr. Melina Abdullah with us today. Thank you. We appreciate it. Um, we are in a moment of transformation in this country. So it's important um, that as we think about these signs, as we think about these chants, as we think about the names that we call out, that we remember why we're here and what we're here to do. 
Because what is happening with this moment as we say defund the police, as we say Black Lives Matter, as we call the name George Floyd and the 601 people who've been killed by police right here in Los Angeles. So I love the names that Molly was calling out. It's also important that we call the names of people like Riddell Jones, that we remember that today is the angelversary, meaning the day that um, he was killed. Today is Ryan Twyman's angelversary. So let's say his name. Say his name. Say his name. It's also the angelversary of Eric Rivera, who was killed three years ago today. Can we say his name, Eric Rivera? Say his name. Say his name. Say his name. Please give a warm welcome to Michael B. Jordan, y'all. We can't be quiet. And we got to vote. And everybody says it's a very easy thing to do. I hear it and I respect it. But voting has never been more important than it is today. But first, that's when we vote. We can't vote today. But we are doing, what we're doing today will make our voices heard and values heard. We got to keep doing it. We got to keep agitating things. We can't be complacent. We can't let this moment just pass us by. We have to continue to put our foot on their necks. First of all, how are you all feeling? Uh, energized by the movement. Happy to be peacefully protesting against things that are um, affecting America. This was 400 years in the making. Um, so it's a good thing that people are out here now. Yep. It's about time. <laughs> We've been calling this out for a long time. They can't go back to normal. We're so far past that. So it's either you're in or you're out, but it's happening without you. This is my first one, first time ever. <laughs> yeah, first time ever. Does this moment give you hope that we'll see some change? Yes, I've, I've seen it. We've seen it over the past week. Um, as long as we keep the momentum. That sometimes, you know, you do it and then it dies off, but you have to keep the momentum until it's completely done, until the task is complete. It's not complete yet. So we have to stay mobilized and energized and keep the momentum going. Say his name! George Floyd! 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 Have you been out to a lot of these rallies and protests? Um, I've spent, I think, the last week or so kind of just decompressing. I've spent a lot of time with my son on my lap and went and visited my dad um, just to kind of feel everything. Um, we were really afraid to kind of come out still cause, just because of COVID, et cetera. Um, and so today I felt, you know, more prepared and more ready and safe about coming out and... Um, We've been working really hard to just kind of like get the message out, continue to get resources out, um, help encourage conversations to our email list, et cetera. Um, so yeah, we've been, we've been busy. Does this give you hope? Yeah, I typically run with really low expectations with people because I like don't like to be disappointed. Um, but this feel, it does, you know, folks were saying earlier, like it, it feels different. It's, it's interesting to see. So like I said, I hope everybody keeps up that same energy.
in that. So we don't need your applause. What we need is your work to continue this work. When we in church, they say a bad seed produces a bad tree, produces bad fruit. A good seed produces a good tree, produces good fruit. The policing system started with a bad seed. It has grown a bad tree and it bears bad fruit. I feel encouraged, man. I feel I feel encouraged. Um, I mean, the turnout all across the nation has been amazing, and just watching like all these people with like minds, and you could just feel the energy and the hope and the vigor in all of these people, and they be ready for a change. for joining us today and thank you for stepping up and taking action this is how we win we win when we all get involved we want to hear from you let us know how you're doing tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at mariah underscore craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org thank you to our friends at dimcast if you haven't yet please subscribe rate and review us on apple or wherever you get your pods share on social media and use the hashtag how we win 2020 you can always check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast for their great resources and of course you can sign up to volunteer there thanks for being here with us we'll be back next wednesday with some more see you then